to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis communications, emergency response, and anything that those domains touch. You know, our show is is, uh, about the unexpected, so sometimes we venture into other areas as well. And um, but this week we're going to focus on uh, business continuity management programs. Uh, before I go too far, I want to remind everyone: if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about or present, please feel free to send me an email at info at uh, stone-road.com, or you can also reach me through the homepage on the Voice America website uh, for preparing the unexpected. I believe there's a little button there that says "Send Host an Email." Send me a, a note. Let me know what it is you want us to talk about or who I should reach out for to be on the show or yourself to be on the show and let me know. And we'll set something up. We're going to talk about business continuity management programs today and the challenges that you can encounter. Um, I've got quite a few in front of me here, so me and we may end up doing more than one show on this, but we'll see where we get today. So we're going to talk about the challenges of business continuity management programs. I'm not going to go in any specific order because sometimes uh, subjects overlap with other ones. And depending on where you are in your program or how mature your program is, or even if you don't have one, different aspects will end up in different orders anyway. So um, please don't think that as I go through this, this is the specific order that you may encounter challenges. Uh, That's not the case. Uh, these are uh, overall general challenges that you will will encounter at some point. And my belief is that you'll encounter challenges in your program, no matter how mature uh, your program is, no matter how long it's been around, uh, no matter how embedded it is in your organization at some point, one, at least one of these challenges you will have encountered, especially if you've been in your role for a long time or new to your role, you're going to uh, relate to some of these. And you may have some of your own, so feel free to send me an email with some of the challenges you have, and maybe we can put a show together on that and some lessons learned. So let's get started. We'll talk about um, the the challenges, and the first one we'll talk about is uh, resources, dedicated resources. And by resources, I do mean people, but I also mean equipment. People, I'm sure you, you've all been there, you know, when it comes to a business continuity or disaster planner. You know, there's somebody who does the role part-time, or, you know, if you're lucky, you've got someone who uh, is dedicated full-time, but again, they're the only person, potentially the only person doing it. And I've been in situations where it's been a very large company with multiple locations, and there's still only one person in charge of making sure the whole business continuity program is, you know, being maintained or being built or, or developed, whatever, wherever you are again in your, your process. And that can be a challenge. That person gets sick. That person takes a vacation, I hope. You know, that person can uh, sometimes not have um, the resources available to themselves to be able to move along to get done what they need done. You know, if they've got multiple locations spread out a country or even around the globe, you know, travel gets involved. Uh, you know, you can't focus on, you know, everything that's global all at once and you have to break it down into small parts. You know, and that, that becomes difficult when you've only got one person doing it. And if it's their, uh, a part-time person, you know, who only looks at, at the uh, business continuity program uh, part-time, you know, maybe, let's say two days a week. You know, let, let's narrow that down. You know, it, they've got their regular job to focus on. And many times they have to focus on their daily job, their business as usual job, you know, their normal role um, uh, more than business continuity. So if there's a some sort of an issue with the daily job, it may trump, you know, uh, completing a business impact analysis with another uh, participant. 
you know, or documenting a risk analysis or planning a test. You know, you've got clients that are being impacted, you know, uh, even though it's activating your business continuity plan, they're not going to be focusing on some of the other bits of the program that they may have been on right off the bat. You know, now they're in the crisis, crisis mode. And hopefully they've been able to get far enough that you actually have a crisis management team and structure in place. The other part with resources is participants. You know, one person isn't going to be able to answer all of the questions regarding uh, risk analyses or BIAs or um, many of the other uh, topics, you know, developing uh, contingency strategies. They're not going to be able to do that on their own. They're going to need input from people. And sometimes they're not available because, again, those people are not dedicated to business continuity. They're dedicated to their daily roles, which they, in many cases, have deadlines and deliverables they need to focus on. You know, if they have incidents or or client queries that need to be addressed, those are going to take priority. You know, basically uh, production, you know, the, the live stuff takes precedence over what ifs and maybes. So sometimes the resources that you need to to help in those cases are not available to help the, hopefully, one dedicated resource to do that. And that dedicated resource, the, the BCM person or the disaster recovery expert, whatever title you give that person, they need to have the right training as well. You know, I know um, if you've listened to the show a few times, I've talked to a few uh, past guests where they were kind of thrown into the situation. Actually, I was too, when I started out over 20 years ago. Just thrown into the role by accident. I didn't have any training, but uh, you know, certainly had to find out what business continuity and business recovery and disaster planning, what that was. So you need a resource. You know, If they don't have any training, they have to be able to get some sort of a training so they know what they're doing and you know, what this whole industry is about. You know, they also need to have their roles and responsibilities defined. And sometimes they have to develop their own by taking some training and getting some information either from the Disaster Recovery Institute or the Business Continuity Institute or um, the ISO standards and other standards that are out there and other organizations um, that are out there, uh, MADRA and you know uh, the Business Recovery Managers Association, um, some of which we've had on the show here. You know, they have to develop their role and responsibility so they know what they're doing. So before they even get started, you know, sometimes these resources are already you know, overloaded with a lot of stuff to do. And the last thing when it comes to resources that you want to make sure they have is some sort of authority. You know, if they're responsible to make sure the organization responds, uh, prepares, responds uh, to emergency situations, you know, incidents, uh, crises, disasters, whatever moniker you want to use, you want to make sure they have some sort of authority. They've got to have some sort of uh, level of authority so that the rest of the organization, regardless of their level and place within your organization, know that when Bob or Jane come to them with questions, you know, about, you know, what they're going to do, you know, some of the requirements they need from them to help build plans, you know, needs their input. They have to have some sort of a leverage to know that when, you know, Bob or Jane show up, they're speaking for the company. They're not just doing it, you know, to make our lives, you know, difficult Oh, another project to do, you know, which a lot of people think they've got to have authority because they're representing the organization, you know, to make sure it recovers. They're they're representing the need, you know, to make sure something's in place to protect clients and partners and customers and employees themselves, you know, and representing the the company leadership, you know, who hopefully are uh, behind the resource to to get things done. So they've got to have some sort of uh, level of authority and responsibility and accountability for what they do. So that's our first one. That's uh, the the resources. Our second one, I'm going to talk about, uh, let's say, start with the worst scenario. I'm sure you've been um, in this situation where if you're to plan something, uh, a lot of people will say, well, our worst case situation is X. So that's what we'll do. Now, as valid as that can be, sometimes it's not the best way to start. The thinking is if we start with the worst, 
we can then work our way backwards. And I have to admit, years ago, I used to think the same way. But it doesn't always work. Because sometimes the worst case scenario, um, the scale of that can be massive. You know, worst case situation, we're moving all these people over here and this building is gone and these systems are gone and we're losing this much money and these uh, clients are being impacted and these files are not being delivered, this money is being lost, all this. When you take into account all of that and the various contingencies and strategies and, that need to be put in place and documented and validated um, through testing, you know, regardless of which how you test it, you know, full-scale tests or tabletop walkthroughs, you know, and, and contacting all these all the groups that need to be involved with this, it can take you a very long time. You know, so starting with the worst doesn't necessarily mean that's the best. And sometimes if, if groups or, sorry, organizations are saying, well, let's start with the, the worst case scenario and work our way backwards, that ends up skipping, you know, the risk analysis and the business impact analysis, you know, no matter how you do them, whether you do them together or you have them very uh, defined, you may skip key areas and key dependencies because you're going straight for the big, you know, the, the big bang. And you can't always get there without understanding some of all the dependencies, which will be lost if you start with a worst case scenario. You know, if you have mainframe systems, there are worst cases, the mainframe goes down. Okay, you go there, but then you ignore, you know, uh, the telecom issues or the getting the network up and running or email, you know, some of the other pieces get lost because everyone's focused on mainframe recovery. So starting with the worst case scenario doesn't necessarily help. Because, as I say, it can be huge, especially if you're a global organization. Worst case scenario is, you know, you've got a crisis that's hit your company in more than one one spot. Let's say Canada and U.S., or the U.K. and Russia, or China and Australia. You know, and you're located somewhere else. Well, there, you know, those places may be the worst case scenario. How are you going to deal with that? You know, you've you've got to be able to travel and get things in place. And it can take you a long time to get all that organized and put put down into paper and and, and validated or into a software um, uh, application that you may be using. I, you know, I don't want to assume you have paper. So sometimes starting with the worst case scenario is not always the best place to start. You know, um, it it will take you a long time to do. You know, starting with that. If you're able to do it, then by all means go ahead. You know, if you are in a position, our worst case scenario, you know, you have a smaller scope is X, Y, Z, and you're able to do it. And um, some sort of a risk uh, or impact assessment has already been done. So you've identified dependencies and you know what needs to happen. Then feel free, go ahead and do that. But it can be quite challenging because you also end up needing, as I mentioned in the first point, the resources involved to be able to do that. And if you're starting with the worst case scenario, that usually means you need much more people involved. And they may not be readily available when you need them to help identify the plan to put in place, the communications that need in place. Because if you're starting with the worst case scenario, that you're also assuming that you have crisis management teams in place and people know their roles and responsibilities. You know, and all that needs to happen because that's a part of your worst case scenario. And if they're not there, you're not going to be able to, to get there. It's going to take you a year and a half, two years, maybe even longer, depending on, you know, on the size and scope and scale of what it is you need to focus on. So worst case scenario, not necessarily the best case scenario to get started on. You, and you might want to um, talk with your executives or whoever's giving you the direction, board of directors, you know, um, whether it be a client asking for it or a partner asking for it or your, your leadership, your company leadership, it's not necessarily the best way to start. And you need to bring these risks up so that they're aware of what could happen and make sure your expectations are clear with them and you understand their expectations. If, if they still decide after you bring all this information up that, no, we want the worst case scenario and this is what it is. We want that addressed. 
then you've got to make sure you get dedicated, you know, financial resources, uh, people to help you get there. So you can put the roadmap together, you know, a, a roadmap, a plan to, to how we're going to get there, what needs to happen. You know, it uh, doesn't mean you'd open up Microsoft Project and put in a list, you know, manage a plan that way. But at least you have a roadmap so you know where you need to go, at, at what stage people need to come on board, what needs to happen first. You know, these are the set of activities we need to focus on and talk about to be able to move on to the next one, to move on to the next one, et cetera, et cetera. And then once we have everything documented, we do some sort of a validation, whether it be tabletop or full um, full test or something along those lines, but be careful how, you know, as I said, how you manage that worst case scenario. You do want to eventually get there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't take that into account. You do want to get there, but sometimes, you know, you can't get from A to Z without going through the rest of the alphabet. So be careful. You know, if you skip all the rest, you know, you can't get from B uh, to D without going through C, right? So you got to be very careful. Um, so we're going to take our first break now. Again, we're talking about challenges with uh, business continuity management programs. And you're listening to Alex Fullick on Preparing for the Unexpected. We'll be right back with our next segment. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Today we're talking about the challenges with uh, business continuity management programs. And as I said in the last segment, no matter the size of your organization, no matter how mature uh, your program is, uh, how long you've been in the business, you will have encountered something that uh, I mentioned here at some point. We all have. I've gone through most of these at some point in, in 20 plus years. So I know others have, you know, and you could probably uh, share some of your experiences with me and feel free to do so. So in the first segment, we talked about starting with the worst case scenario, and we talked about dedicated resources. 
I did touch on it a, a couple of uh, times in the first segment uh, briefly. Um, we're going to talk about timelines now. You, I, I'm sure you've been through this. You know, I know I have. People will say, you know, because they they're unaware of the you know what business continuity and disaster planning is, they will say we need uh, a program in place, you know, in six months. Well, that may not be possible. Not if there is an expectation of going through you know, risk assessments, impact assessments, validation exercises, developing the contingencies, you know, building a maintenance process, awareness and training. You break all that down and you're only going to have a week or two to do each one. And that doesn't include reviews. It doesn't include uh, you know, present presentations back to the people who provide you the information to make sure that it's been captured and documented correctly. You know, uh, timeline, you have to be aware of timelines. Sometimes, uh, because of legislative changes or um, company policies, you know, you do, you are mandated a timeline. You know, thou shall have this ready by such and such a date. If that happens, make sure you understand what the expectation is in that timeline. You know, if uh, we've had the show um, uh, on project and program management before, and it's proven to be quite popular. A lot of people still listen to that one, which is great. And I recommend everyone go back and listen to it. Uh, Sue, who was my guest for that show, gave some fantastic insight on how to manage programs. And we mentioned in that show the triple constraint, which is um, uh, scope, cost, and uh, I can't believe I forgot the third one. <laughs> time, sorry. Uh, time. If you reduce uh, the time well, then you're going to affect quality and, you know, you're going to need more money to get things done. If you have no money, well, then the quality is not going to be there, you know, and that's how the, the constraint works, right? So if you're given a deadline, you know, to get something done, then people have to know, well, we're only going to get X, Y, Z completed in that time. If you want more completed in that time, you need to give us more money and more resources, if it's a deadline that's being mandated from an external source, well, you've got to negotiate what their expectation is too. It, it could be just to have certain uh, components in place, but no test. A test might come later. Uh, so you have to be very ca careful of timeframes. The other part of timeframes is organizational operational timeframes. And by that, I mean when you're developing your plan, Many companies, um, including the, the uh, client that I'm actually working for right now, has blackout periods where you can approach a group all you want. They're not going to even look at you because it's uh, RSP uh, season or something, or it's over the um, holiday uh, season, you know, Christmas and New Year's, where nothing happens. No changes are allowed. No, you know, half the staff is gone for, you know, for holidays and um, or there's a system upgrade, or there is a, a huge change that is being implemented, you know, at certain periods where, uh, you know, people will not be focusing on anything else. You know, it's simply focus on this one task. You know, the whole organization focuses on this one process that has to be done. So you've got to be very careful when it comes to timeframes and know what those are in advance. If there's a blackout time frame, um, let's say January, February, you know, um, which January, February, March, actually, let's say that uh, because that's the RSP season. And for many companies, it's a year end. Well, you, if you're trying to book meetings for risk assessments or BIAs or, um, you know, any or tests, even you're not going to get the people involved because the rest of the organization is focused on making sure RSP season is taken care of and everything to do with it is addressed immediately. It becomes priority number one. If you want to do a test or a BIA workshop or an awareness session or develop a contingency, you know, you're not going to be looked at. You're going to be basically ignored. You know, um, I unfortunately have been in that same situation because I didn't know when some of these blackout periods were for one client. Um, so I, I found out the hard way um, why people were, uh, you know, declining meeting invites and not showing up for things that I did book. 
you need to know that up front, you know, because those become restrictions for you and they become areas where if you can't run a workshop, you can't get the information to do something, which could impact your your deadlines that, you know, that you have been uh, delivered, you know, to have a program done by such and such time. Or the deadline could be, you know, impacting, you know, you have to have your BIA workshops done by this date. If you're going into a blackout period where no one is available, you've got to be aware of that up front. You need to know where your restrictions are, and then you've got to plan around that. So be very aware of timeframes, the operational timeframes, you know, and any mandated timelines. And some of those timelines, by the way, sometimes can be because of an audit. You know, some off quite often audit may not know what uh, a business continuity disaster plan program entails. And I've actually been in a situation a few years ago where an auditor said, well, you need to have this in place by such and such a time. And just because it was an audit. And I said, well, do you know what that entails? And basically they read back to me almost word for word what a stand, one of the standards uh, that are out there. I think at the time it was the British Standard 25999. And they just read it verbatim and said, this is what we need. So I said, well, okay, well, what does that mean to you? Because I recognize the terminology and I actually had a copy on my desk. So I challenged them, you know, well, if you know what that is, then, you know, I had to explain to them what it means because they really didn't understand it. They just, it was kind of like an internet search and they said, okay, we need a program. This is what it is. So they didn't understand all the work that is entailed to create these programs and how to get there. They didn't have, you know, the roadmap, like I mentioned earlier on, you know, on how we get there. So be very cognizant of timelines, why the timelines are being uh, mandated to you where they're coming from and understand the restrictions that could be in place with regards to timelines. So that's, that's number three and actually number four, because I was kind of keeping the, uh, the, the mandated timelines and the operational uh, blackout periods kind of separate. So that's uh, our fourth, uh, third and fourth uh, challenge. Our next one, uh, let's talk about um, scope. The scope of your program. I alluded to it in the first segment when it comes to uh, how big is this program going to be? Where are you going to focus? Is your program going to be focusing on every facility within your organization? Um, is it just within a province or state or jurisdiction? Or is it just one facility? Is your scope going to focus on a line of business, you know, just the finance group or, or just the sales group or the marketing group, you know, um, a key process, you know, or a manufacturing process? Where are you going to, what are you going to focus on? You know, as I mentioned earlier, the worst case scenario, well, if it's everything, you know, you're not going to get there. You'll never get there, you know. Um, so you need to understand your scope. What is it I'm going to do? Do who so you can plan out who it is you need to talk to, and again build that roadmap, you know of what you need to address. There's no way you can do, uh, you know, if you have uh, back to the resources, you have one resource uh, dedicated to do this to have a program that addresses the entire organization. You need help, you know, especially if you're a global organization, you're all over the place, or or you've got multiple locations within you know a region. You know, you're going to need assistance. You know, understand the scope. Um, quite often you know, when leadership or anyone says, you know, we need a program, they really don't understand what do you need a program for. You know, what, what do you need it for? What am I going to focus on? You know, if you want me to plan the whole thing, it's going to take time. And again, we're back to that uh, triple constraint. You know, if you're not giving me the time, well, then the scope's got to be shorter. You know, we got to make it a lot smaller. If you're giving me a huge scope, then I need the time to go with it and the financial resources to go with it. If I don't have those, well, then you're not going to have the quality, you know, and I cannot get that scope completed. So really understand the scope. And it's not just the program, but if you're focusing on a region, then that scope is also going to determine, 
you know, your, your risk analyses or BIA assessments, if you're doing them, you know, developing the contingency strategies, you know, if you're doing them only for, you know, one province or one state or, or one city, you know, in all locations within it, then you've got to understand where that ends, you know, and the dependencies on other regions kick in. You know, we're only going to focus on this scope, but if we're only focusing on this scope, our planning and our uh, activities have to stop at a certain spot because after this point, we need dependencies with another region because we start sending them files, etc. So then you need to slowly increase your scope, but you can't do that if you haven't got a handle on your current scope. I'm sure many of us have been in projects or have tried to get something done where you've got scope creep. You know, you're only supposed to do 10 things. And, you know, by the time you get to the end and you're all happy that you've got things delivered, you find out, holy cow, I actually did 20. You know, because there's all these little requests that come in. You know, can you add this? Can you add this? Can you change this? And so hopefully you've got a change management process to manage that if you've got a proper scope. So if you do start out with a scope and you're told, you know, just look after the facility in Toronto or the facility in L.A., you know, or Mexico City or wherever the case may be, then you need to make sure you've got the right finances to be able to do that, the right time to be able to do that. And if there's any changes, you know, if, if you're doing, you know, Mexico City, oh, well, just add, you know, the, this other place in Mexico to, to what you're doing. Well, that's going to take you longer. I need more money. I need more time. And if those are the answers to that is no, then you have to communicate and, you know, communicate, always communicate. Let's face it, always communicate that means the quality of what you're delivering may be reduced. And you may have to shave off some of the nice-to-haves that people want to have in their programs, or, you know, in their processes, you know, um, and whittle it down to be able to meet those timelines and, uh, that I mentioned earlier. So scope is a big thing, and that can have an impact through everything. You know, if your scope increases, well, so does the roles and responsibilities and communication strategies for your crisis management team, not just your uh, disaster recovery uh, protocols and emergency response. You know, if you're doing starting off with one facility and you're developing the emergency response plans, evacuation plans, now you're doing it for two two sites. Well, now you're going to go to that other site. You know, you, you can't really determine how people are evacuating a building when you've never seen it. You don't know where the assembly, you can't say where the assembly location is going to be when you don't even know what's around that building. You know, so you really manage your scope. And if it changes, make sure you document what that change is and what that change means. You know, it, it could, it, 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 a change in scope can mean an increase in cost, you know, and it can mean extending uh, timelines, like I mentioned earlier. You know, and it could, you know, if you want me to do these two buildings now instead of the one, well, that's going to take me into uh, February. Well, February is a blackout period, and we're not supposed to be able to do anything, and I'm not going to get the responses I need. So you need to bring that up and make sure that's all managed so that executives or whoever's giving you the mandate to create this program understands the challenges that you're facing because they're there to help you, hopefully. And remove any roadblocks. So if they say you know, add this one facility, you identify the challenges with that and what it means, then they can come back and say, okay, finish the scope you've got. When that's done, then go to this other building, you know, and do the same things there. So you've got to be able to manage your scope, you know, and that could be for you know, as I mentioned, that could be not just buildings, but it could be you know, a line of business, you know, or division within your organization or, you know, all client-facing applications, you know, which can be a challenge, too, because client, clients see one, one application when they log in or when they're talking with you, but your organization has 20 different applications in the background that support it. So sometimes, you know, uh, what may seem simple, scope of client-facing applications, not so, uh, not so easy. So uh, be aware of that. So that's our next one, scope. Make sure you're able to manage our scope. 
you know, uh, it, it can get you in trouble um, and it can shift and move all over the place if you don't manage it properly. Uh, we've come to the end of segment number two, so we'll be right back. And again, we're talking about the challenges with business continuity management programs. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river. Like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. We're talking about our challenges with business continuity management programs. And we've talked about you know, our worst case scenario. We're talking about dedicated resources, uh, timelines and organizational blackout periods managing our scope and managing the changes required to scope and our triple constraint. So our next one we're going to talk about is executive support. This can be a funny one because sometimes you have executive support right off the bat. You know, they know either they've received an audit report or they received a directive from head office or on the board of directors, or there's been a change with uh, legislative and regulatory uh, requirements that, mandate certain things need to get accomplished so you start off and you've got the support of executives but you need to manage that support you once they give you the directive to go and start this whole process or uh, rebrand rebrand it rebuild it you know if it uh, you know existed at one time but it kind of fell off to the wayside and needs updating you know Sometimes executives are really gung-ho, you know, to start off with. And, and that's fantastic. And, you know, and I applaud that. But these men and women have a lot of other priorities to focus on as well. And if you, the business continuity management expert, don't keep them in the loop as to what's going on, you will get forgotten about eventually until – you know, this milestone or deadline that they were given or directive pops up four or five months later or even longer. You know, where does this stand? What's going on? Meanwhile, you haven't told them anything. So they're completely unaware of what's going on. And you seem to have lost some of that support because they just don't know what's happening. And they look at you as though, you know, why aren't you doing what you need to do? Why haven't you kept us in the loop? 
you have to make sure you're keeping them in the loop. You have to make sure you'll weasel your way into the uh, boardroom, get a seat there. Even if it's, you know, five minutes, give them a quick update so they know what's happening. You need to keep them in the loop as to what's going on. Don't assume that their support will always be there. On some level, it will, but they will forget that they've given you support and they will forget what's happening. You've got to keep them uh, aware of what's happening on and give them progress reports. That's something that often gets forgotten about until somebody turns around and asks for one. You as the BCM person, you know, needs to make sure that they are kept in the loop and know what's happening. If they don't, you know, their support will wane and they may think maybe we don't have the right person involved here. You know, no matter how much work you've been doing, they're going to want to make sure that they know what's happening and kept in the loop. So make sure you're really aware. Executive support isn't just them supporting you. You support them. That's how you keep their support. Keep them knowledgeable. Keep them aware of what's happening. The successes and the challenges. Because you may have some challenges where you need their input. You know, and if things crop up, you know, as a surprise to them, you know, it's going to be difficult for them to want to support you because how come that we didn't know about this ahead of time? You know, why didn't we see this on the staff support? How come you didn't know that this risk might happen? You know, you need to be aware of this stuff. You know, have some foresight. You know, you know you're, as I will use the blackout period. You know you're doing BIA workshops and you're coming up close to the BIA, uh, sorry, the blackout period. And because of a change or something that's happened, I'm going into that blackout period. Let them know in advance, you know, so I may not have the workshops done. I'm going to try and reschedule. We'll, we'll, we'll do what we can to, to mitigate it so that we can still meet our timelines. But please be aware. If they find out after the fact, and I know many of you have been, uh, if not all, have been in meetings where management of any level doesn't look favorably upon finding out things at the last minute after the fact. They want the heads up ahead of time, right, that something may, may occur. So again, with executive support, it's not just them supporting you. You need to support them as well to keep them in the loop. That's a key one because when you've got their support and they're kept in the loop, you know that trickles down to all the other management levels and the employee levels, and they know that, hey, Jane, our president, backs this initiative. So they know you know, when you show up at their desk or, you know, their meeting room, you know you're representing the president. Okay, so that's a key one. Our next one, we'll talk about, um, I, I talked about the worst case scenario. Um, let's talk about focusing on people. A lot of times when people think of the worst case scenario and, you know, or scenarios in general, when you talk about business continuity and disaster recovery, a lot of people think facilities and IT, you know, mainframes and servers and cables and networks and internet and email and, you know, various applications. But if that's your focus, and it's still a focus, I'm not saying you, you don't focus on it, you, you don't give it the attention it needs, you do. What often gets forgotten about until later is the people aspect. Are you doing this to protect you know, a, 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 you know, creating a program that is to protect the financial viability of the organization or are you doing it to protect people? And it's, sometimes it's a fine line because you, if you do a risk assessment or an impact assessment, what comes out on top is your biggest impact is, you know, we'll, we'll lose all this money, you know, we'll be fined, um, we'll be in the headlines, you know, our crisis management team will be in front of the media, you know, or all the rumors and conjecture that will spread over the internet, you know, because we've had this situation, you know, all those aspects come in and people sometimes end up becoming the afterthought, but who is it that develops all these contingencies? Who is it that validates them? Who is it that provides you the information? Who is it that evacuates the building? Who is it that can get hurt? Who is it that can, whose families can get hurt? It's 
all people. You know, you can't do any business continuity planning on any level without people. It, it, I, I'm a strong believer that, you know, if you focus on the people and, and show that they are the most valuable uh, part of the business continuity program, not just to contribute to it, but develop it to protect them, you'll get a much better participation rate and a much better uh, feeling from people who want to be involved, who, who are going to help you and, and get, get things right, you know, because they know you're doing it for them. You're not doing it for um, a, a checkbox on an audit checklist. You're not doing it because someone said it needs to get done. You know, you need a, a, a mainframe recovery strategy or, you know, you need an application backup of some sort, you know, would protect the data, you know, and that's the other aspect of people, of people, you know, their data, you know, you're protecting them, you know, uh, not just them physically, you know, to, to get people out of the building, you know, make sure there's first aid, health and safety in place, you know, um, uh, assembly locations to get them away, get them safe, you know, communication to make sure they're aware of what's happening, what they need to do, what not need to do, say, not say, you know, um, where to go, where not to go. But also, you know, you, you're protecting them, their data, so that even if you've got them physically safe, you, their data, their client records, their customer records, their employee records are not protected. You know, it really comes down to people. People are the key. If you don't have people to support you, like I mentioned executives, if you don't have people that are providing information, you're not going to have anything. You're going to be working all alone and you're going to be making assumptions left and right because you don't have their buy-in. You don't have their uh, them contributing to what they need to do. And it's not going to make them feel as though they're they're cared, cared for by the organization or by you. You know, it, it comes down to the people. You know, you want to make sure that they're okay. You know, it's, um, like I said, buildings and IT and uh, fines and other things tend to crop to, into people's head, you know, when they think of disaster recovery, business continuity. But you've got to put a people's spin on all of that because you need people to get all that stuff in place. You need people to rebuild systems. You need people to test the systems. You need people to set them up to start with, you know, and validate them and document them and give you all the requirements. Without that, you've got nothing, you know? And so don't forget to focus on people. They're, they're the key to your success. And they're key to the program success. They're the key to executive, uh, you know, um, excitement over your program and what you're getting done and what's in place and gives them a great comfort level. It will give board of directors, if you know, if you're in an organization, a organization that has a board of directors, it'll give them a greater comfort level. Your clients, your partners will feel more comfortable to working with you because they know there's a program and something in place uh, for them to focus on. You know, uh, that if you, you get, um, have an operational issue or whatever, they know they're taken care of. Their data is protected. Their people are protected. You know, um, their, their systems and uh, products that they're, and services that they're purchasing from you are going to be protected. It all comes down to people. You know, it's very easy to say it's, uh, you know, technical stuff. That's just one piece of it. You know, uh, people are, is the key. So next, so we've talked about executive support and then moved on to uh, people. Our next one, uh, we'll talk about, um, and it's kind of a short one, understanding the business continuity management program versus a project. A program is ongoing and has multiple projects, you know, especially with the business continuity. But a project could be, um, you know, performing the BIA, you know, you may have 10 workshops, let's say over one month or so. So you're starting from uh, January 1st to January 30th, as an example. You know, you've got a start date and a clear end date. That's your project. You're not going to be, you may be doing maintenance of BIAs later on, but you're not actually doing, you know, the, the real project of creating BIAs. 
So that's a project, you know, a start, a, a, a clear start and then date with a specific deliverable in a time frame, you know, and that's actually a, a close definition of what a project is uh, from the Project Management Institute, if I recall correctly. Program is a bunch of projects, you know, and even though you'll do BIA once or a risk assessment once and a couple of other uh, pieces once, you'll get into maintenance mode, you know, and that's the, the really big, the ongoing program part. So understand, you know, your business continuity management isn't necessarily a one-time project. You may have little projects within that program, but it's ongoing. You know, so the program is much bigger. It's like the, the umbrella, you know, with a bunch of little projects under, underneath it. And depending on your scope, some of those projects may not be little. You know, I don't want to uh, undermine that or uh, anything, but they can be uh, quite large, you know, depending on your scope. But the program is the big umbrella. You know, it'll have the crisis management teams, uh, the whole piece underneath it, the um Potentially the incident management, if if that's still under the umbrella of business continuity, you know, risk assessments and impact assessments, etc. So make sure you understand the difference between a program or a project. Program will be ongoing, you know, um, especially in this case, um, and projects will be usually one-time things, you know, with set durations and set deliverables. A lot of people sometimes think, you know, business continuity management, oh, we're just doing this project. Well, that means you're ending at some point. And if you're ending at some point, whatever you've done is probably just going to sit on the shelf and not be looked at again afterwards. So you never really develop a program. You've just done a one-time exercise, and that's it. So with that, I'm going to come uh, come close to uh, ending this segment. Um, I wonder... I'd like to hear actually from anybody who's experienced some of these challenges and how you dealt with them. Uh, feel free to send me an email and maybe we can uh, you know, talk about it on the show um, or have you as a guest on the show, depending on what it is. You know, these are some of the challenges I know that I've encountered um, and not just in uh, you know, the business continuity program, but sometimes I experience them in my uh, project management and program management uh, career as well. So I'd be interested in hearing from you, you know, what uh, some of the challenges you have. Feel free, again, send me an email at info at stone-road.com or go to the Voice America Preparing for the uh, Unexpected uh, homepage. There's a little button there. You can send me an email and let me know. We didn't get through my list. I still have uh, five or six other areas here to talk about, so we'll... We'll do a part two to this show, um, but I'm sure some of you are sitting there probably going, yeah, I went through that. Oh, yeah, I, I understand that pain. So hopefully, um, you know, anybody new, hopefully we can help you so you don't go through these, these pains. Thanks for listening and stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.